This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. And I'm Scott. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Will. Hi, I'm Trish. We're going to talk about Dream Snake, 1978 uh, novel by... Vonda N. McIntyre. Or McIntyre? McIntyre. <laughs> yeah, but it's MC, so I don't know. In any case, this is my, I think, the first thing I've read by her. I've seen this book around, kicking around for years and years. This would be the, the second novel I've read by her. The oh. first being the famous entropy effect. <laughs> the first Star Trek novel. Oh, yeah, that's mentioned. The first movie. <laughs> it's mentioned in the end of this book, the audiobook. Yeah, that she's written a, yeah, that she's written a Star Trek novel. I mean, I read this long, long time ago, and I read some of her short fiction of, of, my, of the, the original story that started this novel, Miss Grass and Sand, I read long ago, too. Oh. Yeah, I, I I found it interest. I found it interesting when I said earlier on Twitter this week, like a couple days, that I was listening to this book. Lots of people got excited and wanted wanted to say that wanted to like that and tell me that they loved this book too. So this book really has a rapport among uh, among science fiction fandom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this was your choice, right? Yeah, yeah. Happy so birthday! I wanted to. <laughs> I had. Uh, I had just read uh, uh, The Moon and the Sun, uh, oh. a novel. Oh, yes, that's, that's so lovely. Yeah. And I'm so sad that the movie adaptation is in, in uh, incomplete completion hell. And what is The Moon and the Sun? Um, yeah, so I think they, so, you know, it's interesting. I think, the, uh, I think it was written as a screenplay before it was written as a novel. No, no, it was uh, written as a novel first. And, okay, and she wrote okay. The screenplay. Okay. Who wrote this book? Uh, Fonda. Oh, okay. Anyway, and so it's a it's a book uh, uh, set in the court of uh, Louis the Fourteenth. Uh, there's this um, the Sun King. So yeah, the sun. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's this uh, uh, young woman scientist who's been like trapped in a convent, and now she gets to go to court. And her uh, brother is this Jesuit scientist, and he has discovered sea monsters. Um, and they're like, uh, so he's, uh, dissecting one of them and one of them is in this, uh, uh, tank and, uh, the, uh, uh, sister becomes increasingly familiar with the sea monster and like slowly the, like realizes that the, the sea monster is actually a sea woman and is like a person. And so it's sort of, uh, this novel about like, uh, your consciousness about the world, like increasing over, uh, a period of time and like your relationships with people changing and you seeing them differently. It's, it's a pretty, uh, elegant First contact. Uh, yep. It's a wonderful yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, the politics and like, she, uh, uh, she falls in love with a little person, uh, cause she's like kind of like the only person who like really sees him or whatever. And, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a really, uh, uh, interesting novel. And like, there's some similar themes in this book, but it's, uh, that book is more like, that's like a magnum opus that she wrote there. Like, that's like, wow. Like, uh, she's right. just doing she a lot of things in it. She wrote that in 1998, so 20 years later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. It's a, yeah. It's a capstone for her work, for sure. Yeah. And this is, uh, this novel is really interesting. So I wanted to read it because I had just read that, and it won the, uh, 
the Hugo in 1979, I think, uh, for best novel. Um, so uh, it had been on like my list for uh, a long time for that reason. So uh, right, yeah, Dream Snake, I- Dream Snake won the Hugo, the Nebula, and the Locus. And wow. the novelette yeah, yeah, that so was based on also yeah. won a Nebula. Mm. <laughs> wow. More importantly, uh, Heinlein dedicated Friday to her. <laughs> More importantly. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, they're, both into, they're both into polyamory, right? Like, that's like, <laughs> like yeah. that's the, you know, I was thinking about like other novels where there's like just like details that are similar to this. And it's like the moon is a harsh mistress. Um, you have, uh, you know, these uh, multi-partner family units. In this mm. uh, uh, novel, you also have the multi-partner family units. And, uh, you know, you don't get into the world building of why that is um, here. But, uh, you know, it's, it's similar conditions as to living on the moon. So it kind of makes sense, I guess. I, I will uh, stand my ground. I have oh. one copy of this book, uh, the 1978 edition. Um, and uh, it has dedications from... On the back from Ursula Le Guin, Robert Silverberg, Marge Piercy, whoever she is. She's a famous Joanna SF Ruff writer. And Roger D- Zelazny, all wow. singing the <laughs> praises. Yeah. I think I saw some quotes from Russ, uh, or maybe it was on a different work of hers. Um, Joanna Russ says but, Dream Snake is that rare thing, a tender and compassionate adventure story. Hmm. I'd agree with that. Oh, yeah. Because the the adventure isn't like there's, uh, like it feels like there's swashbuckling in this story, huh. but there's not like, uh, there's not actually a lot of swashbuckling. There's saddle buckling. There's a yeah. quest, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's like uh, like you know the like we get to see her sort of like skill as an acrobat when she goes into uh, uh, you know deal with the mayor of the town and she's like. She's like, okay, so like, how do I get this guy to like out himself as like this like her skill you know, as like, a diplomat? You mean not an acrobat? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean acrobat. I mean it's like like she's using like like she's agile, like right, like like there's a like I think there's uh, like the the swat. It's like swashbuckling, but it's like more like real life. Yes, real life swashbuckling. You go into an office and you try and get an interview with somebody or a uh, meeting with somebody, who, and you don't have an appointment. <laughs> and you try to outmaneuver some some jerk who's trying to, <laughs> or you know, just some officious person who's you know mm-hmm. following. Uh, so yeah, I I think it's really important to think about the personal rather than the institutional. I don't know who was on the panel for voting for the Nebula Awards. I don't know who the Hugo you know competition was and what the politics was that week. Uh, I mean, but I can, can judge. We can look. We can. We can look up who the Hugo Hugo nominees were for the rest of the year. Oh, well, that's absolutely true, and I'm sure there's some arguments to be made for it. But if you are going to dedicate a book to another person, that's a pretty big deal, right? Because you don't have to do that generally. I mean, they do that at the awards shows too, right? They say, oh, "I want to thank my agent and my wife," <laughs> or whatever. Um, and the, so they're turning their their uh, institutional thing into a dedication to other people, um, and that is theoretically more more. I just think it's more important. I I, I didn't know that. Um, this is a, not a Heinlein book, but um, it 
it I can see why Heinlein uh, thought something. Yeah. Right about it. Right. So so the so the other nominees for best novel at the 1979 Hugo Awards besides Dreamshake were Anne McCaffrey's The White Dragon. C.J. Cherry's The Faded Sun, Ketherith, and Tom Raimi's Blind Voices. I don't think we have voting statistics from that far back. They only really started really started figuring out like who was first, second, third, like in the 80s. So we don't mm-hmm. know who else, well, how they rank behind there. But I mean, out of that set, I mean, I've read The White Dragon. That's fine. I mm-hmm. really love C.J. Cherry. I've mm-hmm. not read Blind Voices. But I think Dream Snake is better than the Cherry by... By a, by a few feet. I mean, the, the cherry's really good because cherry, cherry's world building and aliens are top notch. Which Dragon one is, is Kestrith? Is that the first in the trilogy? That's the first. That's the first in the trilogy. Mm-hmm. So, so where she's setting everything up. So, right. But that's not th- even thought of in retrospect as like one of CJ Cherry's like. This no, is no, like she, one of the books she, you need to go read, right? Like, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, except except this part of the entire trilogy. I mean, you read yeah. the entire trilogy. You don't read just read Kessler's now. So yeah, but I mean, somebody would mention like uh, like other books that she writ uh, she's written before they they mention yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Sighting. Yeah. Right. Right. So I yeah, mean, I would certainly if I were now. voting that year. Uh, I haven't read the fourth one, which I've forgotten already, but um, <laughs> uh, I would certainly vote for it over. Vote for Dream Snake over uh, White Dragon or Kastrith. Yeah, and I, well, I think that what I'm interested in is like why, like, so there is like a lot in this book, right? It's like mm-hmm. like the the story is not a long story, or I mean, I know it's three different stories, really. Yeah, uh, but it, it's not a long story. It, I don't feel like, um, you know, uh, it's the the narrative that's complicated. There's just lots of different like little pictures at like vistas of this world or like what's the uh uh you know what are the kinds of like uh technologies that are used on this world and you get mm-hmm. to kind of think of like biology as a technology here mm-hmm. that's very interesting so oh, very doing definitely biotech right. very podcast, yes yeah right. and I, I and i'm really interested in the uh like uh uh the people who have read more science fiction than me like the uh, the way that birth control is like used in this uh, and, and, and story. How subtly it gets slid into there as if it's a natural thing to talk about being able to hold, yeah, you know, being able to prevent people from being pregnant. It's the, the the novel is just so smooth that way. It doesn't go into info dumping about oh yes, in this yes we we don't have to worry about birth control unless you're a really strange person. They just slide it in and assume that the reader is going to accept that idea. <laughs> and yeah, then I really love how delicately she weaves in the world building elements uh, into the narrative of the story. Little, just little asides, um, uh, you know, explanations of other things that are brief and to the point. And uh, you just say, Oh, Oh, that's what's going on. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, that's, I mean, going back to Jesse's thing about Heinlein, I mean, the whole, the door dilated by Heinlein, which, which it was in one sentence tells you a lot about the technology and how it works and does mm-hmm. world building, a compact little thing. She does it here in a different style, but the same sort of um, compact, um, just get put, putting it onto the plate. Like here, here, have some more world building, but not like dumping it like a giant 
blob of mashed undercooked mashed potatoes onto the <laughs> onto your uh, onto your dinner. So then I, I was I was told you know this is a really important work of second wave feminism, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, so I had that in my mind as I was reading it. Um, and first of all, I think this is a book that bears rereading, especially for me. I know that there's a lot of things that she did here that I don't think I've fully absorbed yet. But just the idea, you know, so she's taken the idea of destroying what we have so she can build it back up in in a different way and explore these issues. So the the whole post-apocalyptic thing here is let's get rid of society and so I can build it back up and um, explore these roles, mm-hmm. you know, without society uh, oppressing those roles, right? Um, uh, allowing it to reform into what she's presented here. Yeah, I guess I, I don't think she had to wipe things out. Uh, I, what's interesting is I didn't know it was Earth, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't read about this uh, that that part of the book. You know, like, it's mentioned somewhere, it. but it, you know, yeah, but it's a, when we're starting off. World, but yes, it's. Well, know, I thought it was a planet in you know some sort of uh, could have been a former colony or something, right? Um, of you know an Earth Empire or something, and we get a sense of that. I, I, there's a couple of things that are interesting. One one is that um, you know it's it's three stories that are put together. Um, anybody have a chance to do comparative text looking? Besides me, I haven't done uh, comparative uh, text looking, but I had read fairly recently, actually, the uh, of grass. What was that called? Of, of mist grass, and of grass and sand. Of mist, grass, and sand. Yeah. yeah. Which are the yeah the names of the snakes, right? So, yeah. Um, yes. but yeah, so it was only recently that I realized that that story and this book were actually connected. Mm. <laughs> I didn't realize that. So that until, was uh, first published in October of seventy three. Nineteen seventy three. And then we got two in seventy eight. That yeah. story is the first part of this book. That's right. And yeah, then I, I read that and and uh, sort of grazed the other two. Okay. So I, I did a lot of comparison, especially in the ending um, of of the book. And there are tons of changes. Mostly it's the same. But there's a lot dropped, actually. I thought, And there's stuff added as well. But, like, even the very last sentence of, of the uh, novel um, has a different word. Uh, instead of healers heal quickly, it says healers mend quickly. And it's like, oh, so she's actually, this is published in 78. Um, when the, uh, the, these last two stories are February and March. So the February would have come out, um, and probably the very end of, of 77, you know, the actual issue. And then the March issue would have come out probably at the very first week of, um, of 78. And then three months later, the actual hardcover hits. Right, so she had submitted these to Analog. They were published, and then she said, "I'm doing a fix-up, right?" Which is, you know, a sort of thing people do. And then went and reworked a lot of little details, like removing whole paragraphs, um, swapping in little details, and and doing a polish on it. I'm not sure it's a better polish or not. But what I noticed is there's a lot of plot threads that are. Uh, don't go anywhere. And that's because it is written five years apart, right? That opening, which is a standalone, 
and then two subsequent stories. And I'm like, oh, it's because it's going to be a series, right? <laughs> is what I was thinking. But um, when you're writing individual stories like that and you fit them together into a fix-up, that sort of happens too. Like we think, oh, she's going to go into the city and then she's going to go to the stars, right? She's going to get this this, she's she should go, she's going to go. It on a seems like a possibility, yeah. certainly. Well, that's where the you know <laughs> that that's why you mentioned you know that there's a, they have contact with outsiders, right? It, it's it's uh, like I mean, and that you're also describing the plot of uh, like a an Ursula K. Le Guin novel that sure. is very similar to this novel um, in a lot of ways, and I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, <laughs> City of Illusion. Okay, and yes, then it's that's also literally the plot of City of Illusion. It's also uh, the City and the Star by Arthur C. Clarke, right? It's it's sort of a standard story. I mean, it's a lot of Heinleiner like that. Some farmer guy goes to the city, becomes a, a rocket jockey, right? <laughs> and then mm-hmm. finds love in space. Uh, right, or, but she had actually set a short story earlier, I believe her first published story, in the city. So she didn't need to write about going into the city. Uh, and uh, uh, I thought it was really interesting the way that expectation was set up and then rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there were a lot of subverted expectations in, in this. Um, and I'm, I'm really think it's amazingly clever for a first novel. Um, all the ideas that were in it. Um <clears throat> Uh, and of course, there were not many books back then with female protagonists, uh, set in leadership positions. I mean, secondary, not really a leader though. You know, it wasn't the woman doing stuff. It was a woman in a society where women were leaders and valued in a lot of places. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, of course it was, um, you know, uh, the the whole being in control of your own biology that is a very <laughs> significant aspect of this book right yes the the uh, so, the whole sequence where she's you know con- dealing with this kid who can't control something and we're like what's going on what what is he talking about and then she's like oh this guy's 100 years out of date <laughs> the guy who taught you literally 100 years old literally 100 and I'm like oh, wow, what kind of school is this so it's like uh it's it's very um dune like right with the Bene Gesserits doing all sorts of stuff like that and uh the um sex education which I mean I don't know when sex education really started coming into schools but she's basically thinking about sex education in the 70s and how it I mean how it could be taught I mean with with the, with the proviso that these people have enough ability to to biologically control themselves, which kind of reminds me of you all brain freeze. Yeah. The, the, um, the many colored land by Julian May, where you had, where you had psychic control of bodies. Remember the, mm-hmm. the metaphysics? Yeah. So that, so that, that's, that's kind of, this is kind of like, sort of like toward very low level sort of psionics or like at least mental control of over bodily processes. Yeah, that's very Dune, though, right? Psionics, but biofeedback. Oh, biofeedback. Biofeedback. But but the whole idea of like how do we not only do how do we tell um, how do we um, teach about sex, but the fact that this society is not a static thing that's existed for hundreds of years. And don't don't get me started about reading about books where nothing's changed for 500 years and it really (laughs) annoys me. This novel, we we see that she sees that 
things have changed even, even in just a hundred years. And she calls out like, like, no, we do things differently now. That shows us society is evolving and changing and growing. And that's something you don't get so much in science fiction and fantasy. And it really annoys me that yes, progress happens within lifetimes. And she, she calls it out here as like, no, you guys are behind the times. Yeah. Right. I thought in was, this, sorry, go ahead. Marcia. Oh, I, I thought it was interesting in terms of um, progress. It seemed to be happening outside of the center city. So in the center, Mm-hmm. Where they where they had uh, apparently the technology to do things, uh, it was stagnant and they wouldn't let anybody in. And and to me, like I was looking at it, and it, I was like, if there was going to be another Holocaust in this society, it would be in there where there's still where he where the brother was like fighting for power and like I can't let anybody in, I can't let anything change. We don't tell the children the truth because we don't want them. Um, interrupting the status quo Mm. in here Mm -hmm. and whereas outside where they were collaborating and healing and helping things were evolving and inside it was it was stuck she made that point really well with the death of the character jesse who grew up in the city and had been told all her life that everything outside was poison and horrible and you'll die if you go outside and so when she went outside she disbelieved everything that they told her, including the dangers of radiation in the, the really crackers. Yeah. Um, Somebody's mic is rubbing against uh, their lapel or something. Um, I don't know who that is, but don't do that. <laughs> um, it, Mice's point is, is amazing. Um, and it's really cool because we don't really get the explanation for why things are like that. But one way of thinking about it is, when reading this book, I didn't find it dated at all. You know, it's just very standard, good SF sort of material. Although it's more social SF than you know hard SF. I I don't know that much about snake snake uh, medicine, but I'm pretty sure it's you know it's it's good for some things and not so good for a lot of other things, right? And scientists are always looking at it. But but that part about who the people in the center are and who the people outside of of the city are. And their relationship to the outsiders, right? What do they do? They take the dome material mm-hmm. and give it the broken dome, yeah, yeah. Give it as um, a way mm-hmm. of making slaves out of slaves people, and uh, that's very that, that's interesting. That's very symbolic. It's like their lies about what's going on in the outside world um, as a form of control. Mm-hmm. It sounds a lot to me like. Um, this is like imagine you're a 1977 person or 1973 person and you are in a religion that is telling you, you know, uh, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, God's going to punish you for this. You know, you're in a society that says, don't do this, don't do that. Listen to what the government says. And then there's outside of that, there's people who are reading books. Mm-hmm. And these books are talking about all the new uh, technologies that are happening, all the new uh, results of that technology. Basically, if you're in the science fiction readership, you have this sort of inoculation against uh, the future that sort of says, oh, well, you know, in s- since women can control their uh, childbirth, now they don't have to worry in the same way they did about uh, uh, getting pregnant. So when Lady Jessica... Uh, wants to have a baby, she can have a baby. She has control of her biofeedback, 
can control her body. Um, it's a kind of a <laughs> abstinence instead of through uh, medi- medication. It's abstinence through yoga, right? You do a lot, enough biofeedback, you get uh, control of your body. And will that change society? 100%. The stuff that um, McEnt- uh, Von Dan McIntyre is making about um, about uh, her body being so immune uh, to disease that she's sterile, there's actually some logic to that, right? That's not mm-hmm. bullshit. Um, when she talks about, uh, they talk about breeding her horse, um, and uh, she's saying oh, it's probably not going to be able to have um, have babies. Um, because yeah, because yeah, because it's been so genetically manipulated. Uh, well, yeah, but it, yeah, it's a it's a mule essentially, right? right. Um, there's a kind of um, level of detail there that's really good. Where this novel doesn't work as well is that all those sort of un unfulfilled notes. Like I wanted to see what that material was made out of. And I'm like, well, I don't want this book to be ten times longer, right? Um, but there's a lot of relationship material, and it's all good. But there are these threads, and I'm thinking, is that because it's a fix-up? And I'm pretty sure that's the reason, right? Is that each of these stories is, it's like, here's a view into the world, and isn't this an interesting idea? And then there's a new story with a new sort of problem to solve, and a view into that world. Yeah, I I read a reviewer that um, compared it, and uh, this wasn't meant negatively in any way, but uh, as the Lone Ranger. You know, oh, remember yeah, the old Lone Ranger? Yeah, <laughs> so you kind Rides of into town, solves yeah, the problem, exactly. rides off on you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or kung fu. <laughs> or kung fu. Walks yeah, into yeah, town. Walking, More like walking, kung fu, like walking the earth. Yeah, <laughs> solving problems along the along the way. Yeah, it's yeah. a western for sure. That's, <laughs> that's that, de- oh, desert, or, or, or to be topical, the Mandalorian. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wanderer winds up winds up in a new place and fewer gunfights. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. There is physical threat in this book, but that's not really what she's interested in, in writing. Well, notice the way she solves some problems is is it's it is very female, right? So she yeah. it, it, she's a healer. Which is, you know, a traditional uh, job that women are interested in. And she, uh, how does she solve uh, the problems? Not by going around shooting people. She says, um, "I'm going to adopt you. You're going to be my daughter." You know, mm-hmm. hey, hey, kid, you're sexy. Um, I know you have a problem with uh, whatever. What is it? He's like premature ejaculation, or I'm not sure what. Well, he basically he his seed is is. Uh, too powerful or too potent and he got a girl pregnant, right? Oh, well, uh, she says, don't worry about that. I'm good. <laughs> right? And then, like, he's like, oh, I'm very excited about you. Um, so, like, she solves her her problems not by shooting, you know, not with a flamethrower. <laughs> it's by, you know, going in and making people comfortable or, you know, standing up in the right way uh, when she deals with the mayor. Education um, and information. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you see my D and D tweet about Dream Snake, Jesse? Uh-uh. But basically, if you could think of this as a D and D game, after after uh, 
after Grass dies and gets a really bad run of bad luck. It it has the setting of a D&D game, and she's obviously not a fighter, right? She doesn't no, go into town and, and shoot six arrows at some orc. I guess she's a druid. Yeah, more like a druid. But but how about that time she bit someone? That was pretty cool. <laughs> well, My recorder broke druids, druids can sometimes, uh, you know, do combat, but... And that's not their main skill, right? So, uh, what what would y'all think about this? Um, the the crazy who doesn't even get do a you, name. Do you think that all the crazies are uh, escapees from North? That's what um, I think we're supposed to it? think about. And I did see like somebody was trying to engage me, basically uh, give me ask me to talk about the book before we talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, should I read this? And I'm like, sorry, I'm honor bound not to talk about it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. <laughs> um, so I, I, one of the things they said, uh, this person said, was that it was very, um, they had heard that it was very uh, psychedelic or s- something like that. And I guess what they meant is drug related. Because yeah. it's from the seventies, there is a discussion of drug. I mean, this this novel can be thought of as a. I mean, at least the, at least the third part, especially, can be thought of yes. as a metaphor about drug addiction. Yeah, so it's about heroin users, right? The way she de- yeah. deals with her daughter getting bit by the dream snake um, is is to treat her like she's OD'd, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very interesting, considering you know it's not treated like a uh, the shame of heroin addiction right it's it's a medical problem um solved by and yet this uh, cult leader <laughs> uh the dream snake uh breeder drug 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 dealer right he's he's yeah he, he uses it as a weapon and i thought that that was that was pretty interesting was um interesting. but i don't feel like i think it was like it was just another episode you know i don't feel like this book is a novel as much as it's a bunch of scenes yes. scenes you, you, with this you, character who I really liked spending time with. Um, I was wondering about this third part with the dome. Mm-hmm. Where, where, when she goes in there and all there, there are a bunch of alien plants. And I was thinking, did, did these other worlders come and actually um, like live? here and bring their like i was thinking okay how did these snakes get there was there a camp of other worlders here and and the snakes they left the snakes and he found their camp and same with the other city center city center mm-hmm. were there aliens actually there like th- there was a lot of interesting open questions that mm-hmm. that she just left for us to excavate and um you know try and work out and and maybe it's because it it wasn't uh, it was in three pieces, or maybe that's just how she wanted it to be. Like it was just weird to have it. Those yeah, we get there. we get so many examples of that. Like she talks about going to visit her teachers, right, and what they're going to say when she comes back empty-handed with no snake. Um, and also, she's lost her journal, right? So th- we get the journal back, but we never get that meeting with the teachers. That you know feels like it's coming. 
Well, I think we can assume it's going to go well. Here she is. She solved uh, scientific mi- mysteries of how to how the dream snakes reproduce. So that's going to help. Um, you and, know, and, I, I don't think we need popular. to see that meeting. Uh, uh, I think there's a lot the- of stuff that she brings up that we don't really need. To, you know, I don't need to see if there was a colony of aliens living here for a while or no, if there I don't were need just to see it, but it's interesting to drop it there. Yes. It's yes. very interesting to think about like why, why these things exist in the story. It, so for example, one of the things I thought would happen is we get her real name. We, she, we she's don't. snake. Did she just happen to be born with the name Snake? No, <laughs> like, no, no, no. They have child names in their society. That's right. And you can choose your adult name or you can have an honorific, like, snake bestowed upon you. Right. So is it like the title Doctor? Because if it is, or, you know, and nobody says, I'm Nurse. Call me Nurse. No, right. no, no, no. But, but, but I think it's Snake in the same way as in... The, as in Doctor Who is the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, that's a very interesting. Like, so you know, you know how they deal with the Doctor when he has uh, foes, right? So who's his foe? It's the Master, right? Yes. Now, actually, Doctors and Masters are two kinds of, you know, degrees. So you could also <laughs> get an, another villain who's, I guess, a little tear down called the Bachelor. <laughs> no, but you also have the Ronnie. That this yes, and notice that that's a, uh, a, a, a t- the Ronnie is a title from India, right? Female. Right. Uh, so, like, th- they're a- sort of analogs for something. And there's actually a bunch more um, that are like that. There are other Time Lords. Um, yeah. And they, they don't have, uh, so she she's sort of a special figure in this society. It seems like other... Um, healers are not called snake, right? No, no, so, no, no. no. It, 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 she talks about living up to that title, and, right? And, and up, being upset that yeah, you know, she she lost her snake, and it's like, but she was given such given such promise, you know, but being given that title, it's it's a badge of honor and uh, their sign of her skills that she was given that title. That's why I keep thinking of Doctor Who. It's like, and and the Doctor taking that. I mean. I mean, I mean, I I know you don't watch later Doctor Who, Jesse, but I mean, because w- w- they talk about the Eighth Doctor basically giving up that title and not being the Doctor because he doesn't feel like he's worthy of it anymore. Not until the Ninth Doctor does he reclaim it again. <laughs> so the whole War Doctor doesn't call himself the Doctor because he doesn't think he's a Doctor anymore. <laughs> so that reminds me a lot of. I think I'm a Doctor right now. Training, be damned. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I, I think you know we can we can definitely see, like on a on a sentence by sentence level, her prose is quite poetic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, where where I'm sort of worried about why I don't like this more. Like why isn't this a classic that I'm really going to be holding up and showing to people? I think it's because she. It, it it's it's like she's doing a recipe for school, and what I read is that that first um, uh, novelette of Mist and Grass and Sand was a recipe, right? It was a clar- for a Clarion uh, class and Clarion West workshop, yeah. Right, and so she's you know you take two things and then you write a story about it, 
And mm -hmm. it's very powerful. Uh, that first section's very powerful and I think it's really well written. And then I think she's setting things up and she's laying things down. And I'm glad there isn't, you know, a massive series out of this, right? Uh, as you, I think, mentioned, Trish, there are other stories set on this planet or this version of Earth or whatever, this future. Um, but I think it's like there's, uh, it's, it, there's something about it being, as Mice is pointing out, it's like this thing is put down there and it's for us to, to feel and think about, but it doesn't pay off later. That not paying off is, I think, where I feel like it's gone wrong. And it isn't like a terrible thing. It's just like, oh, yeah, like that is it, all of this stuff, these these setup things. Um, I don't think that that's what I love about it. What I love about it is the kung fu aspect where she's a confident <laughs> person and we get to see her doing uh, things that were unexpected. Um, but what, what insight we get into her mind is best done, I think, not with, you know, the backstory, but rather with her actions. I'm not a guy who says, you know, show, show, don't tell. <laughs> I'm saying she does a lot of telling along with a lot of the showing, and I think the showing's way better. Hmm. Well, I think, um, I am not bothered by the elements that are sprinkled through that don't you know that you think might lead somewhere but don't um i i don't think that every gun has to be a chekhov's gun that's going to get shot off in the third act um <laughs> to go back to the D, &D <laughs> analogy this this world feels like it's a sandbox campaign instead of a railroad there's a lot of interesting things out there and you follow a path following some clues and prompts but it makes it all the more rich of an environment that there are things in there that you say oh that's interesting but that you don't find out more about mm -hmm. yeah the, the pcs see a lot but only go after certain threads and they they, they ignore it like what's oh no we're not interested in going after their aliens there that's great no I'd and that's go and that's why i don't think you know you should just turn your D, D campaign into a novel, right? Because I, I think a lot of people do that. So I want to give an example. This is my birthday present to Will, even though it's not technically about him. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, but I did send it to you and Misa, and I think you both read it. Um, I wrote this yesterday with a student with some vocab oh, words, yeah, right? Yeah. The Birthday Present by Jesse. Once upon a time, there was a gentle black bear who always wore a disguise of a human when going shopping. He was a sly bear, so he always, so instead of just wearing a mask made of a human face, he also had gloves made from the skin of human hands. Because it was his mother's birthday, he was determined to buy her a nice gift, in this case, a bone china teapot. As he approached the city gate, the bear in human guise was asked by the city guard if he was, quote, just a bear wearing a human face with human hands as gloves. But instead of denying it, the bear just smote his challenger. <laughs> His, oh, a great word. <laughs> his powerful claws making short work of the sentry. In the third gift store he went into, the disguised and gentle bear found a delightful bone china teapot with pink flowers and intertwining green ivy decorating its sides and lid. And the bear knew it would make his mother so happy. 
Oh. Okay. Asking if the proprietor took human corpses as currency, the bear proffered the guard's corpse, and after a moment of calculation of the taxes, the shop owner consented, knowing that there was plenty of bone in the corpse for making of new teapots and skin for making of masks and gloves. The end. So, in constructing this story, right, it's uh, obviously the vocab words are there to be seen, the smotes and the uh, proprietor was not one of them, but whatever. There's like six vocab words in here. My student is writing a story. I'm writing a story. I'm showing her how to make her story better. Um, we're mostly doing it for grammar and, you know, uh, sentence structures and that sort of thing, rather than, you know, to try and show off to our friends. However, um, one of the things that I always try and do is I try and make my story better. So the ending here, just the making of new teapots, was the end. And then I, in writing it on Twitter, putting it on Twitter, I realized, oh, there's something wrong with this story. It's, it's not as symmetrical. It doesn't solve all of its problems. You know, I mentioned the taxes, but I don't think <laughs> that's a major feature. Just like I don't think the green ivy decorating the sides and lids with the pink flowers is the important part of the story. Those details are, are good. They add to the story, but they're not the story. However, by adding the and skin for making masks and gloves um, works, makes this makes the ending better, I think. And what's funny is, uh, as I was writing this, my student was writing a story, and since we're using the same vocab words, right, it's kind of like a, a little mini clarion, except just for making baby sentences into little tiny stories. I saw what her story lacked, and I pointed out to her that these could be in this, the two stories could be set in the same city, right? And that her character could be, uh, you know, going to the same store, right? And when she saw that, she thought her story was a lot better. And we tweaked it a little bit and she was so much happier with her story, right? That adding the depth of richness is important, but also making sure whatever you, you lay down pays off. That's the difference between a Dungeons and Dragons campaign where you have this freedom of, you know, you can go anywhere. Just like when you step, play Fallout 3 for the first time, you step out into the outside world, out of the tunnels and around you in 360 degrees, you can go in any direction and start having adventures. That's amazing, right? That feeling is absolutely amazing, but it's not a story. Right? It's not a story. So I think probably each of these individual stories would work way better than the novel. Just like I think, um, you don't, you probably don't need to read The Voyage of the Space Beagle. You need to read the individual stories that are good within it by E. 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 Van Vaught, right? right? Um, and the reason is novels are a marketing campaign, right? It's a way of selling books, moving, moving paper. And I feel like, oh, I should have been uh, reading the original short stories. <laughs> and it like, made me like novelettes. Oh, yeah, novelettes are better. I always forget that, right? It's but because they're hard to market. We don't have a, you know, no, Audible no, doesn't push novelettes it. Novelettes are kind of like, yeah. But if think, it, the, the whole market for Audible, right, is you have a credit. So you want to maximize your credit, which makes you get longer books, not better books. Mm-hmm. And that is not, it wasn't invented by Audible. That was invented by, you know, the people who started pushing novels over short stories. And that's, you know, novels get really 
much more popular in the 50s and 60s and 70s, right? And we're, we're still getting that. But now it's not novels anymore. It's trilogies, right? <laughs> so uh, instead of saying, I need to, I need to have this, this story be longer to answer all my questions, what I should have been thinking is that I need these stories to be individual rather than collective, and I think, you know, when she's going in to polish it, she she doesn't want to kill her darlings, you know, those beautiful sentences that you wrote, but she is trying to make it better, right? That's why she had the polish. But I'm not sure healers heal quickly is better than healers mend quickly, right? That final sentence. So it's like where I'm going wrong, I think, is is that I'm thinking it's thinking of it as a novel. I shouldn't do that. I should just read the short stories, right? The novelettes, but they're really hard to find in audio, which is why everyone should go subscribe to uh, Alan Castor's work, right? He needs to be doing a lot more work with uh, Infinivox producing the year's top 10, you know, novelettes as audiobooks. That's much better, I think, for us than novels. Sorry, Will. Well, there are a lot of podcasts out there that are, science fiction and fantasy magazines in audio form where mm. you get a story a week or a story a month. So they're out there. Um, Uncanny, uh, and the a lot of yeah, them are free. They're so. not, they're not doing classics, right? They're doing modern stuff. Oh, uh, it's sometimes, but a lot of them do new fiction as well. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm hoping for these for classics escape pod, uh, sure. and, uh, Podcastle And, but, <laughs> uh, uh, Oh man, so many. Uncanny Magazine does a free story a month, and those are, I think, all new uh, fiction. Yeah, um, all new. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there are so many out there. Clark's World. Um, <laughs> just there's a lot of options out there if you want to listen to free fiction. Yeah, but I don't want new free fiction. I want, also. I, I want to have that long, you know, that long. So this 1978 novel, I was six years old when this book came out. Right, mm-hmm. I was one year old when the first story came out. I've been thinking about this book for many decades. Right, I'm seeing it on the shelf, saying, "Eh, not today. I got another Heinlein to read." Right, <laughs> but, I, but I looked at it, I pulled it out, and I thought, "Oh, it's just snakes." I don't know anything about snakes. Now I know a little bit more about snakes. Eh, uh, maybe I like the dream part. So when Will says, "Hey, you want to do a dream snake?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm ready for it." Right. <laughs> because I've been hearing about it over these decades. Um, I want to, I think I know why you've been hearing about it though. Why? Um, and like also because of like the things we've discussed, but I want to return to something Scott said early on. Uh, and that's, uh, that it's, a, it's an important work for second wave feminism. I'm not like the kind of person who totally knows like what that means. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Is it second wave or first, first wave? First wave feminism was suffragette. Okay. All right. Second wave feminism uh, started around the 60s when uh, the pill was invented. Right. Um, uh, Betty Friedan's The Fem- Feminine Mystique, uh, basically to, trying to get to... equal rights. Yeah, the uh, ERA. Voting was the first right in first wave feminine uh, feminism. And second wave feminism was other societal working rights, the right for a woman to have a credit card without a husband 
controlling that account. That kind That's of not thing. necessarily yeah, a good the, thing the, either. The, the women. So uh, that refers to the women's movement that we would associate with like the 60s and 70s then. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. And like, that's like one of the most successful social movements in American history that we like, you know, like don't think about on a day to day basis, even though it's like totally changed the fabric of society. Um, the, uh, uh, Not a complete the, the, success, obviously. <laughs> well, no, no, but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, things are like different. Um, yes. and the, uh, I think like, uh, maybe like some of those successes, like, uh, make things in this novel that were like maybe a little bit more revolutionary in 1979 than they are in like 2020. I mm-hmm. don't know. Uh, I think that's a piece of it, but I think that the, uh, what makes this book good, um, is the same thing that, um, uh, the Trekonomics book said makes Star Trek good. And it's actually the, uh, it's actually the ideology, mm-hmm. um, of like the society. You see how people relate to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see how people solve problems. You see how people think about problems and it's not that, you know, there aren't problems here. Like, uh, I really love the anecdote about, like, uh, the, like, beautiful child with, like, the deep sexual shame. Like, that right. was handled so well. And it was so yeah. real. But it was, like, about something that's, like, you know, from this fictional society. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's, like, that's not an actual, like, something that someone would have shame about in our society. Because, like, our society doesn't have that, right. like, particular problem. So I thought that was... Uh, all of those things were, were really well handled. Um, and I think that's what makes this book good is, um, you're, you're speculating about like, uh, like how people could relate to each other. And yeah. like, yeah. like, I think there's like, uh, you know, uh, people like have like different feelings about like whether like science fiction should be didactic or not. Like, I think like a lot of people do actually believe that science fiction should be didactic. Um, although like that word like has some like stigma to it when you say it, uh, what I mean is like, there's lessons in this book about how you can relate to other people. Um, like just as like a person, like you, like you don't have to like live in snake society to like come away from this being like, Oh yeah. Like I like, I'm really impressed with how, uh, this fictional situation with this mayor was handled and like, I could like learn things from those. Yeah. I, 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 100% agree with that. And mm-hmm. um, like I was saying earlier, you know, this whole po- post-apocalyptic setting, I mean, this is what science fiction does that general fiction can't do. Right. Which is take the society and shake it up and so that you can change it and see things in it. It's like when you're in the system, you can't see the system. So you step outside the system mm-hmm. to examine yeah. the system. Yes. You know, and right. that's what science fiction can do. And this is what she's done here. And then yes. all of the interactions that you're talking about, you know, the things that she says about fear, you know, like the the fear of the family in that very first story. I mean, uh, Jesse said that was a powerful story. I totally agree. But the uh, the fact that they killed that snake out of fear, even uh-huh. though it was the key to healing their son, um, that was amazing. And it says so much, right? I mean, that that is a poetic, deep truth about humanity, I think. And then, um, you know, escape from pain. We talked about drugs and mm-hmm. I was really moved by, uh, Melissa. Um, she was, um, she, she could, uh, take the venom, right. And, and not have pain, but she was like, I don't want to forget myself, you know, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to do this. So she didn't know that it was a good thing, you know, but the, these are fantastic things. So I, I agree with Will. This is what made it really good, again, is the ideology and what she's exploring 
by setting up the way to explore it that doesn't come with um, all of the baggage of society that we live in, right? Yeah. And you know, it's so yeah, funny. I mean, as you said, that's the power of science fiction, being able to show a way that could be or, or reflection on our present by setting it in a different place and time so that the reader isn't caught up in the in the mores and the thoughts of the moment, but can actually break out of break out of the system. Remember when we were talking about Godel Escarbach on the oh, podcast? Yeah. <laughs> this is a way to so break. Right. This, this is a way yeah. to break out of science fiction. A way to break out of the system and basically do do that sort of Godel sentence about your own about your own uh, society by talking about it in a in a meta sense. It's one of my favorite things, uh, if not my favorite thing, about science fiction and fantasy and speculative fiction fiction in general is imagining different ways of being. Um, uh, like you said, stepping outside of the, of the system. Um, Ursula Le Guin had, had a great quote about uh, imagining life outside of capitalism, which, you know, uh, for many centuries, people thought that the divine right of kings was a thing and monarchy was the only way for people to live. Um, and uh, just the power to break free uh, and and think about different ways of living and would this be a good thing? Let's let's examine our assumptions and step beyond them. Yeah, she had a great line in here. Um, she said, "You cannot protect someone completely without enslaving them." Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I I found that and I I saved it and I quoted it on Twitter. Yeah, that that is a very potent uh, little bit of wisdom she came she put into there. Well, so, she also puts that into action, right? So she yeah. gives advice yeah, like to people. Yeah. Uh, even like when it's people she doesn't like, like the mayor, right? She understands his mind and his his attitude and what he's going to do. Um, and he, she gives him the facts. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of like Hippocratic Oath stuff under the surface, right? The way she acts in the world, it's very um, – it's good ethics. And I, I thought her a great negotiator. Mm-hmm. As well as it's great. She's a great character, and what's funny is, uh, like, I I don't think it would work today because of the way things are. But I, I I'm picturing it much better. Like, it, I think this story would work much better, especially the way it's so episodic as a TV show, right? Like this character, like Netflix, this character is so. Uh, I I would say Netflix is like they'll fuck it up, <laughs> but like if you think about how um, style. Well, I, I'm thinking more like HBO's, you know, ma new Max show called Raised by Wolves. There's some good stuff in there, but the problem is they sort of exhaust their ideas and then they revert to type, right? <laughs> and and what I feel like in here is it's character based, right? So we've got this universe. Um, she, it's it's a western. She walks into town. She deals with the kinds of people's problems you i guess you could think of the crazies as you know the season capper or whatever um and then the promise of uh you know finding out what's inside the city that's the thing for next season right this is what makes deep space nine such a great show <laughs> is it has not only the uh you know the star trek you know stuff but also has this darker prophetic element right where um 
he says, I oh, know the, the Dominion War is coming because he's a prophet, right? He can see the future. Oh, it's explained by they, they're outside of time. I buy it, right? And then you have the, <laughs> the relationships between all these characters who we like to spend time with. Uh, Snake's a great character to spend time, time with and on a, on a screen where we don't get inside a character's head. Um, it would be all the more powerful because when we get inside her head, I find, um, I, I don't think it's better. I like seeing what she does and seeing what she says more because of the way other people react to her and her actions. You know, she, uh, when we hear her talking about the new shirt that she's got, right? Mm -hmm. Putting it on and putting it off. I'm less interested in her feelings about the shirt than I am in seeing what other people think when she's putting on that shirt or buying that shirt. Right. And, and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's really interesting because very talented writer. I'm not, I'm not read anything else by her. Um, is this a common sort of thing you see in the other stories, people? Um, let's see another, I, I don't remember. I mean, there's, there's a lot in the moon and the sun. Um, another book of hers that I've read and really like is called Superluminal, And that, um, uh, is another thing that combines a lot of disparate elements. There's, there's FTL. There's, um, there are the divers who are people who were, created by the Navy to live underwater and eventually they rebelled and became their own society. Um, and they also, they, they do well on spaceships because they're used to, you know, three dimensional navigation and everything. Um, and there are some great characters in that, but I, I don't remember what you're talking about, like with the reaction. Well, there's a lot of, people with different ways of thinking reacting to their assumptions being challenged um and i really like that plus mm -hmm. there's a great legalistic thing where uh one of the divers uses a corporate con contract against the corporation uh to to get out of something that the corporation wanted them to do um anyway that's a fun a really fun read um but i uh uh that again started from a short story and was developed into a full length novel. So it may have some of the same elements that are chafing at you, but mm. which I like. <laughs> I, 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 it's not, it's not even like a problem, like a problem. It's just, it's sort of what keeps it from being on the level of a, of a masterwork in, in my mind. Cause this is really good. Scott, you, you said you read the entropy effect. The uh, Star Trek yeah. novel she yeah. wrote. Yeah, oh yeah, that was you know so that was the first Star Trek novel right after the motion picture. Back, I think it was seventy eighty one is when it came out. It says okay, yeah, and that was the first of the line of all those timescape Star Trek. Right. Novels. So, how did you yeah. do? You recall it at all? Well, not not a ton, um, but I just remember the. Uh, you know the very serious Mr. Spock. <laughs> the, mm -hmm. the the Spock of that time was very serious. Yeah, um, but uh, I remember liking it very much. Um, but yeah, but no, I'm not going to be able to bring any of the plot elements here. No, I was I just thinking the way well. way of of writing yeah, it because I, go for it. Maybe this is like uh, 
maybe this is just her western you know like that's mm. like that's the genre she's writing <laughs> yeah. in here and yeah. Uh, yeah. uh it's gonna have that quality because um i mean the the quality you're describing where people are uh responding to the stranger that's just that's uh one of the like quintessential features of the western i think mm-hmm. and like yeah you know and you sure. get it in like conan stories too right um sure the, the effect is here. rather different with the Conan stories, right? <laughs> but yeah, and I'm, I'm but I'm it's, fascinated it, too. Oops, go ahead. No, I was just thinking like it, it is a nice uh, female uh, inversion of the Conan stories, although you know it's not. But it, it is so, sort of similar in the way Conan like he'll show up in a town and there's like a wizard who has a pet monkey who has killed him and replaced him by putting on his cape because he wanted to be a man, right? Talking about rogues in the house. And Conan goes in and solves the murder mystery and then chops up the monkey, right? It's it's like, it's a, the similar problem. You know, you come into town, there's uh, uh, the mayor's sick, and the kid comes down and says, hey, can you help us out? And, it, and instead of going and chopping up, it's, it's more like uh, scalpeling <laughs> and some uh, herbs and... And then uh, a couple of snakes, and then uh, you know the sticking around, and but it, it is the same thing because what does she do? She finds the handsomest uh, youth in town and and sexes him up, right? Which is the yeah. same thing that Conan does, right? He's always uh, off off uh, throwing a lady off over his shoulder and running off to uh, have another adventure, right? So it it it's it is a, a nice comparison, Will. And I'm totally down with it. I, I I think that this is really good. But if you tried to like stitch together four Conan stories into a novel, I think it would have the same difficult, you know, the same difficulty because fundamentally they're dealing with a particular set of circumstances, and the only thing that's similar is Conan, right? His personality. Uh, that we see Melissa, uh, you know, continue on, and other characters continue on is. Uh, I think that's part of, you know, her being a woman and making a making a family, whereas Conan's doing the opposite of making a family. He's fleeing, right? So, yeah, it's a nice a nice inversion. But, it, again, works better as short stories or novelettes or something, I would think. And yet, they're just not marketable. Difficult. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. I love the idea of that center city. Mm-hmm. Where um, you know it's like they have communication with the outside universe, and the rest of the planet doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those are things we've seen in science fiction a lot, you know, before and since. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes it's an oppressive thing where all the power is centralized, and mm-hmm. they're keeping it away from the rest of the people. Other times, it's like uh, the rest of the people want to live that way without that connection mm-hmm. but they need the connection for something um you can see the center it's as just interesting as a as a first world nation like you know you know yeah, united states right. and you get these people the strange weirdo people who are born in the united states and then leave right and they go you know immigrate to another country and start doing what they do there um whatever skills yeah. they brought and there's this knowledge about the original place but the the one thing you don't you know the one thing you don't really feel uh being in that center city is how the people outside who were once part of it think about 
the center city. And we do get that here, right? With the, yeah, right. Yeah. With the character who's, you know, we think is going to live and then ends up dying. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that is a very good example of what you were saying, you know, shaking things up and, uh, allowing you to see things as, as they might be from other perspectives. Really yeah, good, really good book. Anybody else get a Wizard of Oz vibe from that center city? Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, makes said, sense, yeah. right? And, and and plus there was the whole flower scene as well, um, which, which is like the poppy scene. And mm. I mean, it's not, but it kind of, you know, yeah. I was like, whoa, that's that's two. <laughs> yeah, poppies and heroin go together. How interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 did, I did, I didn't think of that reference myself, but I, I got the sense that uh, whatever was going on in in the center city was going to be a lot like that. It was going to be a lie, you know, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to talk mm-hmm. about them being from, uh, you know, they're having contact with other worlds, and it's being like, it turns out to be very underwhelming, right? Um, well, why, yeah, because it's so locked up, right? You're keeping your secret. Right, and the reason you do that is not because you're powerful. It's because you're weak, and you want to mm-hmm. stay, you want to keep whatever strength you have, right? You don't want to share. When people are uh, in bounty, their instinct is not to um, lock it all down, you know, just regular people. It's to share it. Um, there's mm-hmm. a, uh, there was a story yesterday about, you see one of those feel-good stories you see on Twitter. I hate those. <laughs> but it was a feel-good story about how, you know, in this city, they're planting trees all over the city, and they're fruit trees, right? So that people can Are come down. Are a four-fruit tree? A fourth fruit? Four, remember, there's a, didn't the healer make a four-fruit tree, a tree that made four fruits? In the yeah. yeah. No, they were not four-fruit trees. Ah. But the idea of, you know, when, when uh, you live in the city, you don't have access to... Uh, what it is to go down and pick a, an apple. You'd have to go. That's like a day trip, right? People go out and pick berries. They pay a fee and fit, you know, they drive out to the country. But if you are just walking down the street and this tree is shoving apples in your face, um, you kind of want to pick them and kind of want to eat them. And, and then the follow up to this story is, and, and this is going to help the food bank. And I'm like, oh, fuck, you fucked it up. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> is like the food bank is not the solution to this um you make everybody richer then there is no food bank right the food bank is a new thing right they didn't have the food bank in medieval times there was no food bank there was the lord and the granary and the grain was given out you know over the winter and then you know you slaughter your pigs or whatever Anyways, well, you're leaving out the element of the church, which would have done some charity, although indeed, and that would vary from. It's become corporate now, right? How much was actually given out to the poor? The the corporate uh, thing now is you go into the store and they want they ask you if you want to give money to their charity of the week, right? And then they get the credit for giving the money that you give to them to. It's like. We got this all fucked up. We got it really fucked up. But that's a different show. Um, <laughs> what I what I was thinking about a little bit in here is is how uh, the healthcare system is terrible. Right? You walk into the town, there is no doctor. Right? They're all wandering doctors. It seems 
we don't see a lot of other healers, but um, well, she is in new territory that is not much visited because it's a trek to get over there. Um, but uh, they okay. say, you know, why don't you move into town? You'll be well respected. We're going to yeah, pay it's, you. It's, it's mentioned that healers who have had a long career eventually retire to communities and they stay put. So the she's got the arthritis, you know. She's got that arthritis. Do have any idea how to communicate with each other? Like, how did she even find out that they needed help? Word of mouth. <laughs> Word of, that's a lot. I, yeah, yeah. My understanding was that ju- she just knew that no one had been there in a long time, and so but she, she came wanted to for go. A child. She came mm. to to help that child. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow the message got over there. That yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Carrier I'm- pigeon. I'm yeah. not sure. I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, te- te- technology I, I, yeah. is kind of, yeah. Kind in my of, head, it's like, you know, people, messengers, you know, like in medieval times. Yeah. People passing yeah. through, passing messages. Right. Caravans would carry mail. And, yeah. you know, like ships that passed each other in the ocean would call out the news to each other. <laughs> yeah, well, like, well, like when, when the guy's looking for Snake and he... he He's asking people, well, have you seen this healer? So, yes, it's very much it's very much like the personal, like, well, what's the news? Have you seen this person? And do you know, if, have you seen, have you seen the healer? I mean, I guess it's like, uh, you know, there's a healer. Like, oh, yeah, the healer down this way. Oh, well, you can go see it. They can tell them we need, we have a child that needs help. So it's, it's, like it's, it's like someone, it's not like someone breaks a foot and the next day the healer shows up. It's like these are longstanding illnesses and problems that the healers are coming to solve. They're almost chronic and some chronic or like long-standing problems that the healer oh, they needs to, to get to. They need to get their inoculation every seven years, right? They need to get inoculated. And, there's, there's, and, and this, this movie, there's, there's, and this book is a pro-vaccine book, which I find oh, definitely. They're very relevant. In this makes it very book. topical. <laughs> yes, it yeah. makes it very topical. So who's the, what's the name? Ar- Arvin, right? Arvin? Yeah, um, Will, you had trouble with the uh, audiobook. Did you uh, did you have a different narration than we did? We had the Blackstone. Uh, I, uh, I I heard his name is Aravan. I have whatever Aravan. one they have on okay. Audible. Yeah. Uh, let me look at that real quick. So uh, the, that's one of the interesting things is we, we change viewpoints and we spend some time with him when he's chasing after her, right? Mm-hmm. She shows He shows up in the town and everybody looks at him suspiciously. And then they arrest him for assault, right? Um, I, I thought, why is this happening? I was like, oh, and like thinking about after. I'm like, oh, this is plot. But I, I think it would be much better just to have him show up and then explain. This is again the case where they're doing action rather than exp- you know dialogue. I'm like, more dialogue, please. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love dialogue. That you get more of a sidelight on the mayor where, you know, he's still kind of a jerk. And for a while I thought he was just going to be a jerk all the way through, but he does manage to be open-minded enough to figure out the truth, you know, when other people point things out to him. Uh, and, you know, so he, he was initially all against Aravan and, and just assuming that he was, hey, this guy wears desert robes. He must be the guy who attacked. Hmm. Uh, well, killer. he's uh, looking he for her, right? he eventually change his mind. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the slavery stuff, I was a bit. Right. I was right. a bit. This jerk of a mayor had been the one to end bond slavery right. in yeah. his town. And that, yeah. again, is the evolution that I guess Paul was talking about, right? 
you see yeah. uh, things changing over time. We don't know how long ago the uh, apocalypse happened, but I guess we could do some half-life calculations. Uh, it's long enough that nobody remembers why it happened. I thought that was right, great. but there's still radioactivity. So, right. So the elite, I mean, so I mean, depending on what isotope, so it's a couple hundred years, several hundred years, because nobody remembers, and society has changed so much. And and there's also questions like. This, was space travel invented in contact with worlds before the apocalypse, after the apocalypse? And which makes me think of that Babylon 5 episode where you have Earth falling into barbarism, but then you have the Rangers secretly visiting Earth and you, via, via space travel and helping Earth get lifted up again. The deconstruction of falling stars, basically the, the first, uh, or is it the second? No, it's the second bit in that episode where we have the very, um, the well, well, what's the book I'm thinking of that this that that, that resembles? Um, you know the the no the the post apocalyptic book with with the with the Catholic Church. Come on, help me, Scott. Can't go for Leibowitz. Thank you. Yes, that's the one. So yes, that's sort of like trying to preserve knowledge and trying to rebuild society against all odds, even though. Most of the world's fallen to barbarism and there's radioactivity and and whatnot. So that that's another touchstone that Bonda must have been thinking of when she wrote this book. Mm. But putting a very different twist on it because, as we said before, the city is hoarding the knowledge, holding the knowledge of space aliens, trying to hold on to power, grasping and trying to just keep their fingernails onto what they have rather than trying to share it. And well, that's what we expand. assume. That's what we're to- sort oh, of no, inferred. No, no, I, I think that I think we can read that as text rather than subtext. I don't know. Uh, one of the things that uh, one of the characters says is, you know, maybe they can heal her there, right? Yeah, he does. Um, but not being an expert, maybe they can't. But given that they're liars, you know, one of the things we know about them is they're liars. Um, and they claim authority uh, over f- things that they don't know. It's like, well, he says he's going to heal us, right? But maybe that's sort of, we can see the um, mirror of center in this dream snake uh, cult, right? Yeah, yeah. And where, you know, you go there for um, for uh, p- pain relief and you end up um, a slave, mm-hmm. which is kind of... Uh, you know what? What sounds like real life? It it is, and, and that's why it's a nice metaphor for like heroin addiction and stuff. So people, people, um, they don't tend to say, you know, what I'd like to be when I grow up, <laughs> a heroin addict. I would like to have to be enslaved to a, a product that is illegal and very hard to get and expensive. That'd be a great thing, and, and it will likely kill me because it's not regulated. Nobody says that, but. A system that produces heroin and addicts consistently um, is the one we've got, right? So if if we think of what happens, the the externality, you get kicked out of the city, right? You see this with other religions too. Um, if you if you get a uh, person who doesn't conform to your religion, you excommunicate them, put them out into the world. Right, as opposed to keep them within the community, and so when we have this viewpoint character going from place to place, and we have her meeting people who have been damaged by whatever community they're in, right? The uh, character Melissa, 
we eventually find out, you know, is hiding, um, hiding all sorts of things and not getting credit and being raped by the uh, stable manager. Oh, God, yeah. Right? All all of this, um, you know, the lies are consistent, right? So, you know, putting our trust in that Wizard of Oz city, I don't think we can trust anything. I think there's going to be something to the rumors, (laughs) but I don't (laughs) think they're going to be what they, it's not going to be face value at all. Yeah. Um, when when you talked about uh, when she said the reasons are, are forgotten, I thought that was also a, a brilliant thing because what she's saying is the, the whole point, whatever led to the apocalypse is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Right. It's not for us. It's yeah. No. But even like beyond that, like whatever is leading to our apocalypse, like stop now. Stop now. We're not going to everything that you're fighting about is irrelevant and and not worth it. We've got to learn to um, cooperate and 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 like this whole thing about families of three now instead of two. Mm. It's it's you have to work harder to to be a family of three like you, you we need to work together as opposed to just creating this thing that's going to turn into an apocalypse because that it's not worth it we have to be work together now so the negotiations uh snake has with with her daughter you know like how the chores are going to be distributed right um mm-hmm. is a good example of that because yeah. even though there is no house gathering the firewood you know cleaning the horses doing all that stuff um if you are in a if you're if you're in a family, Scott, you may have heard of these things, families. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it isn't uh, necessarily a democracy where, <laughs> you know, somebody says, you know, let's have a vote and see who <laughs> cleans the garage. It's more like, you know, uh, you're part of this family and I, I have to go to work to earn some money. Could you please clean the garage? It's it's an anarchy, right? It's it's a there are people with respective power based on age and experience and there are younger people and you get together and you sort of consult and you also can make demands and if you make the demands too harsh then that can cause the fleeing of the society of the family right um but if we do our jobs right eventually they flee on their own happy and come back and visit for thanksgiving <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, Snake yeah, is trying cool. to teach yeah. Melissa to stand up for herself. Um, yeah, Melissa yeah. wants to do all the chores because Snake is a healer and she shouldn't have to do anything, Melissa thinks. But uh, Snake is getting her to realize that she has value as a person also. Right, right, right. Melissa's not seeing the value in herself and so she immediately wants to take all the chores. Almost like a sense of like gratitude for getting her out of that very horrible position but Snake is trying to teach her to have self-respect and and strength of her own character, which I really mm-hmm. appreciate. It was a really nice journey for Snake and Melissa to go through. It's a really yes. good message even today. Mm-hmm. Scott, you said you had a quote? Yeah, I found a – I was looking for this quote as Misa was talking because I loved how uh, the author put it. It says, um, the war was long over, almost forgotten – for it had destroyed everyone who knew or cared about the reason it had happened. Yeah. Yeah. I just really like that line. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the domes, right? Those domes that 
are still influencing their lives, right? Their right. waypoints. But the the material, I, I I sort of thought of that as Larry Niven sort of uh, Ringworld material, you know. <laughs> it's un, unbendable, it's unbreakable, except it seems to be... Script. S- script, totally. yeah, script right, is the right. material, right? Um, yeah, speaking of Ringworld, I was thinking of um, in the Ringworld Engineers, uh, where they find out that, mm, not to spoil too much, the thing that happened that made the cities fall... Um, the the effect oh, on yes. technology. The virus. All no, no, no. What's the virus? Sh- sh- don't say why. I'm trying not to spoil. <laughs> I'm going to spoil the whole thing. Uh, it was um, <laughs> the thing that I was thinking of. It was, was that cities had fallen because once this bad this uh, uh, deterioration of technology happened, none of them cooperated. They all tried right. to save all the energy, all the power, all the all the resources. Each city on its own. Um, and so, you know, there was no cooperation between cities or, and so they all eventually dwindled. And, uh, instead of creating new technologies, they all just dwindled away. Well, can't, well, cannibalize. I was thinking of, that wasn't even what I was thinking. I was thinking of the fact that that civilization that took the, uh, the engines off of the ring world to make, spaceships yeah. right? and destabilize the ring world as a result like oops <laughs> right going, that guys? too yep. see i told you my set would pay off to read that terrible book <laughs> <laughs> it, took, it took a couple of years but we did it <laughs> <laughs> no it's not as terrible as i say but it is definitely it's got it gets progressively worse as the more deeper you get into a series, that's what happens. Oh, you definitely don't need to read beyond the Ringworld Engineers. Yeah, I read at least two, at least one more. Throne. I think there's even one more. Did you feel uh, the Ringworld Engineers is worthwhile? That's that's I the problem, so. right? It, it is a lot of stuff from Ringworld on its head, and mm-hmm. you see reasons for things that had seemed inexplicable, and. Uh, uh, yeah, so you get to spend more that. time hanging out uh, with some characters. We, we like that too, as well as adventuring. But I right? really liked the subversion that ha- of the first book that happened in the second book. It's good stuff. Yeah, and the, and the whole idea of the God Gambit is just lots of fun. It, is the is speaker to animals in the second book? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Okay. And speaker Amma has a funny final fate. Will Will is very much I, I, if he if he was uh, in the adventure party he would be the Kazenti. <laughs> I would, yeah, or like my job would be like uh, Kazenti uh, Wrangler talking to, you, talking to you horrible humans. Oh, wow! No, no, it's it, what's the relationship he has with them is like um, he he feels contempt. Right, because they're yeah. fucking plant eaters. <laughs> um, they they're, they're uh, you know, what's funny is that that is I'm watching a lot of Deep Space Nine. I'm thinking about the relationship. I, I I don't know what it's called. You know, when there's some Bechdel test, right, where you have two g- girls talking, and if they're talking about a guy, then it's a failure. Um, I, there's these scenes in Deep Space Nine where you got two aliens. 
talking to each other. You got like Garrick and Quark sitting at a table talking to oh, each that's other. A great little scene. Yeah, yeah with the root beer. Yep, There's right. so many like that though, and yeah. you put you pair them up. You know, Odo's always like that. He's he says you solids, and then he gets turned into a solid, and he starts enjoying drinking and eating. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have a little conversation about you know enjoying them too much, and 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 it's funny because. When you have aliens in conversation with each other, they're not really aliens. These are just actors under makeup, right? And it's, that's the same if it's a novel as well. You know, when speaker to animals is talking to Nessus, <laughs> and Nessus is like a third gendered, uh, a freaked out, insane member of his species, right? And then speaker is like, he's like a wharf character, <laughs> angry and wants to fight all the time, but also disciplined. Uh, enough to have to be in that position. It's just, it's comedy gold, right? <laughs> the R- ring world should be done as a comedy <laughs> when they do it as a TV show, right? <laughs> you don't want, you don't, uh, you know, the straight man is, uh, is, uh, Louis Wu. Anyways. Only sane man, yes. It's, uh, it's good stuff. I, I did like this book and I would definitely want to read some more. Of uh, her stuff, I, I'd like to read. Can I ask everybody a question? Yeah, go for it. Um, when, when the first time that I I noticed the the three person partnership, it was t- two males and a female, and I and I started thinking, oh, is this? Did, did we lose a lot of males in this apocalypse? And then um, then the next one with Jesse it was Jesse and Meredith and Alex, and and I was like, no, there's two females and a male. And then later I was reading that Meredith is never actually gendered. And hmm. so I was wondering what everybody else thought Meredith was. Hmm. I assumed from the name that Meredith was female, but that was just an easy assumption that is not necessarily justified. That's why I did too, because of yeah, the could, name. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they could be <laughs> non-binary for all we know. So, <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> um, what I would say is uh, they're all female because the narrator Anna Fields... Made them all. The, there's the squeaky voice, Melissa, but they're all female yeah, but the voices. Na- the narrator may not have known themselves. Well, the narrator, yeah. Well, uh, was Will the that narrator makes an assumption? Was that the, the one you read, listened to? Yes. Well, yeah, Anna Fields was who I listened to. Yeah, I guess this is the only audiobook edition. Um, the version I was listening to, and I guess most of us were listening to, is from the cassette. And uh, yeah. that the I page to the audible one. Oh, okay, so it's the same thing. It's just they edited out the cassette flipping information. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, I good had narrator. To buy it some years back on Audible, so I just like oh, I'll just load up the Audible app. It was a simple. I uh, will point out that you don't buy from Audible. You you buy a license. What? You buy audible. a license. Yes, you rent. Thank you. <laughs> buy from Downpour, the company that is the competitor. And also Blackstone, um, same company. And then you actually do own it. Uh, I don't know how you can sell it, but at least you have control over it as an MP3. Mm. Mm. Yes, indeed. Are we done? No. Yeah. We're done. I believe so. Cool. And ten minutes before my work That's great for me. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Let's have a look at the schedule and see. My 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 recording broke in the middle of this. Thanks for recommending. Like, this mine's work. good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, I think it's one, it's it one like, like Jesse said. It's been yeah. it's been forever in my sight, but I never picked it up. And it's been forever since I read it. So thank mm-hmm. you. I I, I didn't know 
I didn't know it was yeah, going to be science too. fiction. I thought I thought, oh, it's a fantasy book. It's like it's got magic snakes. <laughs> it's, They're not magic. I was waiting for a sword to come out, and it never came out, and then turns into like Ringworld on Earth with uh, a lot less um, uh, rocket rocket stuff, <laughs> mass, and well, the hard SF parts. But it's definitely science fiction. Yeah. Oh, another yeah. part about the post-apocalyptic thing reminded me of Star Trek, the episode where you had the Yangs and the Coms yeah. who yeah. were still fighting centuries later without remembering any Me of the idiology. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, see, that's why old Star Trek is good. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF Audio. I mean, all robots are slaves, so you could sort of racialize them all as black. But I, I, the only thing I could think of is, you know, the Mark Twain uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, where the editor replaced the word, uh, nigger Jim with robot Jim. And then they went and had an illustrations commission that changed him from a black man to a robot. So that's a thing that actually happened. You didn't just make it. No, that's a true story. And I, I mean, it's a good marketing gimmick. But it's also evil because, of course, they're going to want to, uh, you know, put it in schools. <laughs> and, but it's 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 like a very, um, it it's so whack. It, I, I I both like it and hate it, right? But that's, well, what, that's how you know it was a good idea. Yeah, I guess I guess it was it was a definitely a good marketing idea because I I still think about it. But other than that, like. I've read tons and tons of robot stories. And I don't think they're ever racialized. Like, I guess, um, what's the robot from Futurama? He's Mexican. Bender. Bender. Bender's Mexican, right? So I guess he's Hispanic or Is he? Met- Metiso. An ethnic identity. Uh, he yeah, he does. I'm pretty sure he has a middle name that's, um, Rodriguez. <laughs> I think it's his last name. <laughs> right? I can, uh- I, I finally remi- I finally thought of one, uh-huh. and this is uh, this. Uh, wait, no, no, this won't count because it's a. Sh- it has to be from a short story. So, uh, but oh, yeah. uh, there's a there's a transformer named Jazz who is voiced by Scatman Crothers and is just like the black Autobot. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. All right. I mean, I know a like- terrible racist joke about black robots, but I will not repeat it. What? Wait, 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 nope. wait! I, I got I got a black robot, Ice Pirates. No, no, it has to be a short story. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, even literature, it's it's hard to like. There's even a joke in Ice Pirates. So why'd you make a book? Because I want to make it. Be, I want to be perfect. Huh. Wow. <laughs> well, 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 the creator was black, so you know, it was like yeah. Take... Bender's middle name is Bending, and his last name is Rodriguez. <laughs> okay. I don't see where. I, I do hope you're recording this guy because my recorder broke already. This is not a good. <laughs> this is not a good way to start the day. 
your recorder is broken? Well, it, 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 it suddenly it spontaneously stopped working, so yeah. Oh, uh, well, so, yeah, that's kind of broken. <laughs> like, well, we have Skype recording, and yeah. Then, uh, whatever Jesse's doing is. I got, I got an MP3 Skype recorder. I, what I find is you have to turn the uh, Skype recorder on first, and then uh, start the other recorders somehow. That mm-hmm. just like video breaks it, um, Skype recorder breaks it. Well, yeah, I'm making a backup too. So. Excellent, yeah. but only for as long as I'm with you. <laughs> well, I, I keep getting the sense that maybe we should start. <laughs> I, think, I think we should start. Well, I for one want to spend a second just to honor uh, Will's birthday. He's turning 13. He's going to have his bar mitzvah <laughs> soon. <laughs> oh, be nice. <laughs> so young. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, as we speak, I'm actually opening one of those little Lego minifigure packs. So <laughs> See? It's, like, it's basically, uh, you know, it's basically true. Yeah, <laughs> although although a little bit, I feel like 13-year-olds are like too old and cool to play with Legos. Yeah, you go through I a know stage. lots of adults who have Legos. What, what are you talking well, about? Well, the play, play part is maybe the aspect of it, right? So I don't really to play with Legos. Play. Exactly. It's basically... Um, it's 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 uh, you know it when you see it. <laughs> it's like pornography. When when you when when you're a kid and you're not interested in pornography, and then uh, you are interested in pornography, that that switch, that that's when uh, where play changes definition. <laughs> Shall we begin?